Hello, is that Jonathan? That must be Tudor. <laughs> How are you? Not too bad, not too bad. I've just come back from my Friday meeting with other members of the chess club and we have a chat over a cup of coffee in the afternoon, so that's a pleasant way to finish off the, the week, really. So they were well impressed when I said I was going back to interview you, so that was my card of the day, actually, I must confess. But uh, So that's very good. I think the question is really interesting is what sort of people would we like this to appeal to? Now, obviously... I wanted to get away from chess. Yeah, yeah. Part of the well, I think that certainly, just thinking about this driving back home actually, people will be interested in a little bit about your background. Um, I was thinking, I interviewed Hayden James, I think you heard the, the interview, who's got an interesting story about how he turned himself into a conductor conducting 75,000 people and so on. And I think people are quite interested in these sort of personal bits of information that they can't get easily. I mean, you can often get it through Wikipedia, but sometimes you can't. So I think it'd be quite interesting if you didn't mind talking a little bit about your, as they say, journey. Uh, that could be quite interesting for people. What, how did you end up, I suppose, my question is, making money out of gambling on the uh, Indian cricket, which is, which is quite a sort of lateral move from playing chess? <laughs> okay, well... Oh, are you recording this now? Oh, I certainly am, yes, yes, yes. Right, okay. Um, basically, I was a chess professional after university, as you probably know. That was kind of a natural thing to do, and I was, I was already a master at chess, yeah. and I wanted to become a grandmaster, and there were opportunities to make a little bit of money playing, and a little bit of money teaching, and a little bit of money writing. Um, and I did all three, and I, I did that, followed that career for some time. And what prodded me to change was essentially my health. Oh. Um, I got diagnosed with a condition called scleroderma, which is yeah. an arthritic condition yeah. uh, at about age 40. Jonathan, I have to interrupt a bit. I must tell you that my, my wife suffered from the same condition. So I have, well, yeah, I have more than enough sympathy about the, the, the whole thing. Yeah, it's, it's a difficult condition yeah. to say yeah. professional yeah. chess player with. I've been making a good living from cricket betting ever since I was 
That's fascinating. Two decades of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very reliable. Have you have you maintained your love of cricket, or is this does this get in the way having to be so analytical about it all? Have I maintained my love of cricket? Yeah. Um, I watch so much, and it's difficult to kind of love it quite so much. <laughs> day long, every day. I didn't want. I didn't want to watch the end of the, uh, the the English innings. I assume it's over now, but it was it was horrible watching the way they've been playing today. It was dreadful. Yeah, <laughs> not, not having a good day. Um, I've actually been watching Australia Sri Lanka. Uh, oh right. Very much. So it's tends to be one day cricket rather than Test cricket. Yeah, 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 yeah. From, uh, from my point of view, but, yeah. Yeah, I mean they usually bat in the second innings. Uh, it's astonishing, really, isn't it? And that's not just now. It seems to me that's been the the history of English cricket. There's this wonderful, brave English fight back from a lost position that, that we tend to celebrate, I think. Yeah, it is a bit hard. It's a consistent pattern. There's not so much pressure at one day batting in yeah. test batting in the whenever they're in a mundane mentality. Yeah. 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 Why they just can't do that anyway, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. And the other thing that interested me, let's go back to your book, of course, because that's I try, you know, I, I do a lot of book reviewing, and it's mainly uh, it's mainly been academic books. But I'm used to doing, I used to be editors as well, so I get lots of books to edit. So there's various tricks that you'll know about as well as I do. That uh, you have a look at what it says in the introduction, you look at what the index looks like, and then you, you do a quick flick through the first time, and you can see what sort of genre it fits into. Well. I couldn't do that with contemplating comedy. It was there was something about it that made it very difficult to fit into a nice straightforward niche. Yeah, it's not uh, not an easy book to categorise. It's kind of um, essentially it's a compilation of humour. It's a, a large part of the book, but the other part of the book, which is maybe thirty forty percent, is it's just some ideas I've come across in my life and uh, been very. Yeah. Um, about various things, um, philosophical, psychological, um, yeah, just, just aspects of life and stuff that I found interesting. I think it works very well because, um, I mean, there's a, there's a trivial thing that works very well, which maybe it's not so trivial. It's the way in which you structure about six, seven or eight comedic examples and then invite the audience in to decide which they like and which they don't like. And I have yeah, trying to get a, a kind of interactive yeah. aspect there to, to kind of engage the audience a bit more than a list or just a kind of um, monologue. No, that's right. So I wanted to kind of get them to think about things and choose, make choices, and, and kind of interact with the material a bit more. And I think it's. It's an unusual way of doing it. I haven't seen that done much. I, I haven't seen it done either, but the, I could immediately see how it would work in a in a teaching background. That you could do it. I mean, not just for this particular book. You could do it for almost anything that you're offering some type of student offering, and yeah. and then work I from know, it. I think, I think, I think it, it, it is quite effective. And yeah. Perhaps has a wider wider use. It it, it is a, quite a good way to present certain types of material. Yes. I had a go at it just to see how it would work, and I could see exactly how, if I wanted to structure some sort of PowerPoint, I could work it through using this this system quite nicely. So, so that's what I'm going. Next time I get a chance to do any real audiences, I'm going to do that. But I'm a bit short of real audiences now. I'm I'm a little bit older than you are, as you probably guessed, and uh, so I'm I'm totally retired now. I've got one roommate. Yeah, I was 80 in, on December the 24th. I was 80. I thought I picked that up on Facebook. 
and I, then I just, yeah, I decided to stop writing books at that point. And now I've become consumed with the idea I could do podcasts. And so I'm, uh, I've moved away from one discipline and I'm learning about this new one now, which you are part of at this very moment. So, so that's very good. It's really impressive to see somebody <laughs> kind of doing new things and creating new things. Yeah, yeah. Starting that Well, that's right. We're all, we're all a little bit inspired by that, I think. Well, that's very kind of you to say. Listen, I had one or two ideas about um, what we might be able to do together as a kind of... We ought to be together, you and I ought to be able to cook up something that's both comedic and philosophic, you know. And so I was thinking, how might that work? And, uh, I mean, actually that's what we're doing now, aren't we? We're interacting and the ideas... I was thinking, if I knew too much about you, this would come across as very stereotyped. And if I didn't know anything about you, this would just come across as asking very, very open-ended questions that BBC interviewers ask and you don't get many good answers and so on. So somewhere in the middle is this area where we can interact together to produce something creative. That's, that's what, what I was thinking. Now, I've got this idea and I played it out a little bit with um, the... Uh, the interview I did with Aidan James, if I came up with a proposition to you and uh, then it sounded a bit strange and you interacted with it, that could be quite amusing. So are you game for that? I'm, I'm ready to try. <laughs> well, okay, this is what I was thinking. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put on my other hat now and I want you to imagine that I'm giving you a call and in this call I'm going to ask you to do something and if you think it's reasonable, then you can say okay. And if you think it's not reasonable, you can tell me why you think it's not reasonable. So that's the that's the idea, okay? Exactly. Yeah. No, I'm feeling very generous today. So this is it. The telephone goes ring, ring. I hope I put that in. Ring, ring. Is that Jonathan? Hello. Jonathan. Is that Jonathan Levitt? Speaking. And you you are the Jonathan Levitt who has written the book, contemplating comedy. It's amazing that you telephoned the number around them and got me. Ah, well, you see, I have my spies. I have my spies. I, got, I think I must have got it somehow. Anyway, the thing is, Jonathan, I've been wondering about whether you could help me out with a little something. I, I've been trying to get people around me to work up my podcasts a bit better. I'm looking for guest editors. Now, I've got, I'm short of several guest editors, and one in particular I'm short on. Um, is chess. Now, I was wondering, do you think you could use your influence to persuade Gary Kasparov to become my editor for Chudorama? <laughs> um, uh, that's a bit of a long shot. <laughs> why? What, why? Why won't he... Sorry? I didn't know Kasparov, and he doesn't know me. Oh, you know Kasparov! Wow! I did some work for him many years ago, editing um, his website. It's, it's a done deal then, Jonathan. It's a done deal. I gather he lives in America now, and he consults for the American presidents and so on. Yeah, he appears on uh, American media news channels quite often. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, he sounds the perfect man. So all I have to do now is to somehow get his phone like I got your phone number and give him a call. Do you think he'll want paying? <laughs> um, I don't think he'll get him that easily. Do you know? Oh dear. He seems to be quite in demand. The trouble is, you see, chess players, it seems to me, they're always going on about they don't get enough money. 
Is that your experience? Well, I've been reading Facebook and time and again, the grandmasters are going on about not being paid enough and so forth. So I suppose that even if I try to get another of the, 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 the grandmasters who aren't playing in the, the candidates, they still want a lot of money, wouldn't they? I think um, being a grandmaster is quite a tough way to make a living and you're probably picking up on a sense of um, the fact that they don't If you've got in, if you're in a bestseller, you're okay. But it's almost exactly that triangle you described. Unless you get in the top 100, you're not going to be making much money. And it's even worse with books. I know you've identified it, but uh, I, I go to a bookshop and um, I sit down and watch the authors come through and for the signing ceremonies and so on. And they're on a treadmill from, you know, in the signing season, they go from bookshop to bookshop signing their books. And uh, again, I think it's not an easy way to make a living. So there you go. Authors are desperate to promote their books. Well, I've noticed that on the BBC. The BBC is delighted to get them on for nothing, and then they they hope that's a quid pro quo. Yeah, I think it's partly to do with the amount of effort that the authors put into the book, and they want to sort of make something useful. They want to get it out there and get it read and uh, get some feedback. The other thing that occurs to me is that there are several good, very, very good chess players who went on to go into the city. So they, they went into exactly the sort of thing that you've gone into, but inside a, a sort of financial firm. Yeah, financial gambling. Yeah, that's right. Gambling, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. about that because it's been it indirectly links with what I'm interested in as well is which is to do with the the moment of discovery and uh, you know I, I mean chess is obviously an area where you get these sudden insights or at least then get replicated in the books as this moment of insight and these great games that are written up as the, the you know yeah, I think I think what chess players are good at intellectually is shocking and changing values in their head ah. and they don't, they don't Completely revise 
your viewpoint in, in the light of a surprising move that kind of turned things around. And um, as I say, they're used to a lot of violence going on in their head in terms mm. of um, looking at it one way and being forced to shunt it around and being forced to look at it another yeah. way. It's, it's um, something similar with humour in that you're looking at something one way and, and the punchline makes you look at it another way. Very much so, that, yeah. yeah. That moment of humour is, I mean, the change of perception. Very much so, very much so. For example, so. Um, how long will my spaghetti be? Um, it will be about six inches. So. Um, you're, you're, you're thinking in terms of time. Ah, yes, 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 yes. I mean, some kind of change of perception like that is, is to be... Yeah. Have you, have you come across the, the work of Arthur Kersler in this respect, not in his novels, but in his book, The Act of Creation? Uh, I've read Arthur Kersler about 30 years. <laughs> yes, that's right. Oh, yes, I forget you're not quite as old as me. <laughs> okay. Didn't something, didn't something happen in his personal life? Oh, yes, it did. I, that would be ghastly, but uh, there were several things, and I think he was a very unpleasant individual, but his books are obviously... We've got this bit about separating out the artist from his art, but uh, yes, he, he had some very unpleasant things happen to him. But in his book, The, the, the Act of Creation, um, he sort of distinguished between humour and insight, and he said they were really coming from the same sort of emotional context. But but this one was about someone who said to me, um, "My Greek, I, I bet you've heard this. My grief, start again. My grief therapist died last week. Uh, pause, and then, but she was so good, I didn't care." You've heard that one, haven't you? Uh, yeah. I'm not surprised. I, I'm trying to think, I suppose I should ask you this. How did you net all those ideas? Did you go and troll for humour? And, uh... um, yeah, I picked up a lot of them online. One yeah, one yeah, one yeah, one yeah, yeah. groups yeah. and kind of, I mean, some of them are original, some of them are my own. Um, but but the, the majority are uh, derivative, uh, if not in the form that I found them slightly changed from yeah. that form. Mm -hmm. Um, so, yeah, uh, um, but I think quite a lot of that humour is not that well-known. I've tried to avoid really well-known lines, but obviously some of them... Well, that's right. Know some of them. I mean, some have got into cultural things, haven't they? And the, 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 yeah. you know, the other thing is, I was thinking about the, the way you've got this idea of uniqueness and there's a unique switch of perception. Then the other thing that embeds itself in culture is where someone keeps re repeating things. So you end up with a famous catchphrase that almost locks the comedian into having to repeat it as, as part of his persona. So on one hand, you've got this fluidity, and on the other hand, you've got this structure or rigidity or something that's needed as well in the creation of the brand. Well, like a, like a, a musician singing um, their well-known hit. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And cause, of course, audiences like the familiarity as well as the unfamiliarity, so you get get, get the, the both inside comedy, I suppose. Yeah, I think um, with music, I think people um, can only deal with so much change at one moment. Well, that's a good example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's too wild a change. They, they, they don't like it. Whereas they can deal with small changes and yeah. enjoy those. 
And the, the way tension kind of... It up. is a tension, yes, that's right, that's right. I was, I mean, round about the time I was getting into this, I, the, the lot of the social scientists were into this whole Kuhnian thing and uh, the idea of this paradigm, the, the, the normal science, which is the way we all believe in science, and then you've got this huge break where suddenly we discover that the, the Earth... Uh, it goes going around the sun rather than vice versa. So that's sort of normal science and paradigm sort of shift. But then you've got the what I think of as everyday creativity, where you get these tiny little paradigm shifts in perception. Every time someone tells a joke, you've got a paradigm switch, which is a little mini paradigm switch, really, is uh, the way I'm starting to yeah. think about it. So creativity, it's got to be kind of more grand than just something tiny. And I mean... <coughs> In chess, for example, creativity would consist of newness and effectiveness. I mean, it's yeah. going to be new, yeah. or perceived as new at least, and it's got to be, it's got to work, otherwise it won't get the label of being creative. You know, you're right, but then I'm thinking that you're walking down watching youngsters playing chess in, in these tournaments, and they're often already as good as me, whatever, but you can see the patterns are there, and then occasionally one will see a little pattern that you've already seen dozens of times, but for the first time he sees it or she or the opponent doesn't see it, and it's an exclamation type move, isn't it, because it's that break of pattern. And this is something, it could be something as simple as a fork that's been laid on or something, and, uh, oh, the opponent didn't see it. So that's a, to me, that's a little act of creativity right in the middle of a, a chess game. Yeah, like I was saying earlier, I think um, seasoned chess players, or the, the top players anyway, are very good at chopping and changing those ideas in their head, and you could, you could view that as a creative Yeah, person. oh, absolutely. When they're looking at it one way and they're able to switch and chop their values I think to a degree it is, but I think it's part... Yeah, we mentioned earlier several examples. Yeah, yeah, yeah. ...successfully switched to stock market or city investment type work and being able to do well. Um, of course, that's not proof of anything, but it well, shows that there might be a, a general ability to, to manipulate patterns. Well, it probably is good a test of intelligence. Well, the whole thing about intelligence, of course, is that you can argue there's various different types of intelligence, and what we've tended to approve of is, is the ability to manipulate sort of abstract symbols, and that's most of the intelligence tests go at that. Now, the creativity tests actually go into divergence, is the capacity to generate lots and lots of ideas, but they tend to underplay what you said. Yeah, but they underplay the sense that you've also illustrated about able to, to converge down onto the one or two new ones from the, the mass of ideas. Yeah, I think that's, they're complex layers here. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He's layering. Divergent, like,